0: Hello church, my name is Vivian and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John chapter 6 verses 22 to 51. Please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. I am the bread of life. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what signs do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he, not, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? for the life of the word, for for the life, of the world is my flesh. Um, this is the reading of God's word.
1: Thank you, Vivian, for uh, reading that super long passage. Uh, just, I, I want to confess that was my fault. I, I. Sent the wrong passage. Um, <clears throat> we we're supposed to read a, a much shorter, shorter section, but for many of you, that was the most Bible you read all week. So I'm glad. Um, and uh, Vivian, you did a great job. I, I was like, oh man, I feel so bad. But um, well, uh, you know, I, I you know, some, many of you guys know, but um, I'm a big fan of Dave Chappelle. Uh, I love his stand up comedy. And uh, there's this one particular story that he tells uh, about playing a game of three card money. So if you guys don't know uh, what three card money is, you know, it's a game where you have three cards and, you know, one of them is like red and two of them are are black and you you shuffle it around and and you're able to pick the right. If you're able to pick the right card, then you win. And so this is when he was a young man. I think he was either a teenager or maybe in his early 20s. You know, all he had was like $60 in his pocket. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember back when you were in high school or college, like $60 was a lot of money. Right. That was I, uh, I pawned my trumpet for $60 and i was so happy. Um, that's another story for another time. But he had $60 in his pocket. He, he approached uh, this game of three card money. He was watching as people were placing bets and, and they were you know, winning and losing. And he noticed that um, the card that was red, the one that you had to pick to correct, uh, get the correct uh, card, he noticed that there was a little crease on that card. And he's like, dude, I'm going to be able to win this. And he was watching a few more times and, and he realized, yeah, that the red card has a crease on it. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to play this game. I'm going to put $60 down uh, and I'm going to double my money. It was going to be easy money for him. And he was watching and, and he's like, you know, the, the guy was shuffling the cards and he was watching, he was watching, he was watching. And um, you know, it was time for him to pick the card. He picked the card with a crease in it and the guy flips it over and it was black. And so he lost his money. And Dave Chappelle is just like, what the heck just happened? And as he was thinking and observing, he realized that everyone else that was playing before and all the crowd around him, they were all in on it. That, knew that it was a scam. That uh, he had just got scammed out of his $60. So the next person that approached the game, uh, before he put his money down, Dave Chappelle said he warned him. He's like, stop, don't play this game. It's a trick. They're going to steal your money. And the guy who was shuffling, uh, a big guy, and Dave Chappelle, you know, he was really skinny back in the day. Uh, he grabbed Dave Chappelle by the collar and he said, Young man, never come between a man and his meal. And he said he learned a very valuable lesson that day. And as I was watching this um, stand up, and I was like, Oh, it kind of reminded, it kind of triggered a memory, like kind of a, a slightly negative memory for me. I, right? cause I remember uh, d- d- early on in one of my f- uh, first ministry opportunities, you know, I was an in- intern pastor and there was another intern pastor and he approached me and he said, Hey, Jay, um, I'm going to apply for another position. Can I put you down as a reference? And I was like, and I tried to convince him not to put me down as a reference because I didn't think really highly of him. But, uh, he he insisted that i put he put me down as a reference and the reason why is because i knew the head pastor of the church that he was going to apply to and i was like are you sure i was like you don't want my reference you know and he, but he put me down as a reference anyways and i was hoping that i would never get that call but i did get a call from that pastor and 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 i was a little conflicted i was like do i do i just say good things or do I speak honestly and eventually I decided you know I'm just going to speak honestly and you know he started asking me questions uh, I didn't intentionally bash this guy or anything like that but you know I, I spoke about what I witnessed or what I felt that his work ethic was or what his you know kind of character was and uh, and then eventually you know that guy didn't get the job so you know a couple of weeks later he came to me he's like oh jay thanks for being a reference you know this is kind of weird right he's like thanks for being my reference but uh, I didn't get the job and I was like oh really and, you know, uh, but I, th- I thought about it and I felt a little guilty and conflicted because I was wondering, well, did I, you know, was I the reason why he did not get this position? Uh, how would his life have been different or how would his ministry have been different if he did get this position, would he be much more successful now? Would he be in a better place now? You know, and I would kind of justify and rationalize this saying, Oh, it wasn't me. Like the guy who got hired was much more qualified anyways, you know, but, but the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I think that Dave Chappelle sketch was so uh, uh, triggering for me was because I never thought about, or it's really difficult for me to think about livelihood in terms of the fact that it's really you working for a meal, And I think for a lot of times, especially here in the Silicon Valley or just even in our in our Western culture or here in the United States, we rarely think about the fact that what is the very uh, at the very essence of why we work or the very essence of why we pursue certain livelihoods is because ultimately, at the very core of it, we are seeking food. Because food is the very essence of life. Uh, Without food, we cannot survive. Um, you know, now we've kind of lost that uh, kind of uh, the understanding of it, especially now, because I can just DoorDash something I could DoorDash something here right now if I wanted to, you know, like, if I'm hungry, I can order something on Uber Eats, I can literally drive through a lot of fast food places, or I can go to many different spots and just get food whenever I want. Um, this idea of like a famine, it, it doesn't register to me because I could still go to the market and just buy whatever I, I need. Right, uh, But in this very culture of, you know, ancient Near East, in, in, in different parts of the world, this idea or this statement that Jesus makes here in this passage, when he claims to be the bread of life, it has a very important meaning for people. It's a very important claim. And today we are going to be in the week one of our seven-week series uh, on this uh, new series that we're starting called I Am. And we're going to be taking a look at the seven statements of I am that Jesus makes in the book of John. And the very first I am statement that he makes is found here in John chapter six, as he claims, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And so today we're going to look at this statement and we're going to see what does this Jesus actually mean by this and how does it affect us? Uh, Why why is this statement or this passage, I am the bread of life, uh, something that maybe we just kind of gloss over? Why does it not make much sense to us? Or why do we struggle with this idea that Jesus is communicating to us that he is the very essence of life itself? And what does this tell us about who Jesus is, about his claim, about the very uh, nature of his being? So before we kind of get into that, I want to set us up for kind of the context of the passage that we just read. Uh, What is happening uh, here in this story? So in the beginning of chapter 6, we didn't read it, um, but this uh, chapter 6 is the beginning of a very famous passage. Um, It's something, a story that many of you guys might recognize or may have uh, heard of or have read. Uh, If you open your Bibles, you can look at the heading and it still says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is a story where um, Jesus miraculously multiplies five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish and feeds over 5,000 people. Um, the heading should say Jesus feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Uh, many scholars believe that it was much more than 5,000 people uh, because women and children were never really counted uh, officially. So the correct number would probably be somewhere around 10 to 15,000 people that Jesus fed. If you can't imagine 10 to 15,000 people, imagine uh, like a basketball game at Chase. Um, in the last six years. Before that, you'd only have like 3,000 people in that arena. But in the last six years, you know, you'll see a packed arena of about 15,000 to 20,000 people. So if you imagine the, the multitude and the magnitude of how many people that, that's there, uh, Jesus is able to feed all those people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is lake fish. So it's not like a tuna. It's like, probably like a trout. Well, it wasn't a trout. I don't know exactly what fish it was in that sea but you know it's a small fish uh and and so when you think about this and the disciple philip uh when he was approached by jesus and jesus said hey let's give the people something to eat he responded he said there's no way we can feed all these people he said even 200 denarii is not enough for everyone to eat just a little bit now uh one denarii was considered one day's wage for just a uh you know a a blue-collared worker Uh, so, you know, one of the scholars did the math, he said 200 denarii was probably enough money to feed about 2000 people. And even then that's still, you know, 10, 10 to 13,000 people more to feed. So when he says, Philip says correctly, that 2000 denarii is not even enough to give everyone just a little bit. He probably means, you know, those little, um, communion wafers we eat that that's probably like everyone will get one of those, you know? And it's like, that's not enough food. And yet, um, a young man approaches the disciples and what he has to offer is five loaves of bread and two fish. And somehow Jesus is able to miraculously feed the, this crowd in the wilderness with heavenly food that multiplied, heavenly food that was plentiful, so much to the point where they have 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, this event was so miraculous, this event was so out of this world that the very people who were able to participate and eat of this, fruit, uh, eat of this food, they were uh, absolutely amazed to the point where it says that they wanted to force Jesus to be their king. Now, just on a side note, I, I think it's very interesting that the people had this attitude and that John was able to write this in, in, in the passage here in chapter 6. Because I think very for many of us, we often forget that we as human beings, we also have this attitude where we want to force Jesus, the Son of God, to fit into our plans and our agenda. And that's the very attitude that the very people of God or the very people in this crowd had about Jesus. And Jesus perceives this attitude, so it says that he goes to the other side of the lake. Now, And then after he goes to the other side of the lake the people perceive that he is gone Uh, they they're looking for jesus they get in a boat they find him and they say uh why uh, where you know when did you get here Uh, and, and then jesus calls them out he says you are seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves he perceived in the very heart of the people that they were seeking and looking for him not because of the heavenly reality of what he came to offer, but because what they, the only thing that they were seeking were the earthly blessings that would sustain them in this world. So then Jesus goes on and makes the claim, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will not die. And, and this is where I, I want to begin kind of the sermon about well, what does this mean and what does this tell us about us? I think in this passage in this story, what we are able to be confronted with is the the very nature of the fact that we every single one of us sitting here, whether you identify as a Christian, whether you are seeking whether you are brought here. Uh, you know, by a friend and or maybe you have no religious background whatsoever. The reality is, is that as physical human beings it's so easy for us and so natural for us to be fixated on the things of this earth that are tangible and perishable when Jesus is coming and and showing us and, and, and providing for us something that is imperishable, something that is spiritual, something that is everlasting. We get so fixated on the things, on the earthly things while completely ignoring the heavenly realities what Jesus has to offer. And the very first evidence of that is the very question that the people ask Jesus. When did you get here? When did you get here? Now, to kind of give you a context of what's happening, in between the feeding of the 5,000 and in between Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life, uh, John gives a, a little story of, of Jesus walking on water. Okay, so once Jesus perceives that the people want to force him to be the earthly king because of the fact that he gave them a bunch of food, uh, he goes to the other side of the lake. And in the, in, the, in the story, and there's other stories where, you know, the disciples, they see Jesus, and they're like, what the heck, is that, is that some dude walking on water? You know, they, so they get on the boat, they go, and then, you know, Peter's like, Jesus, can I come to you? And then, you know, he goes on the water, and he's like, ah, I'm drowning, you know? And then Jesus is like, oh, you of little faith. Well, basically, I mean, he just walked on a huge lake across to the other side. And John is very specific. He says, on the next day, uh, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only been one boat, And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So, you know, John is making it very clear. The very people that were there on the other side, they ate, they were full, they went to sleep. They woke up looking for Jesus, but they only saw one boat. And they clearly saw that Jesus did not enter that boat, but they saw the disciples enter that boat and the disciples went to the other side. And then later it says more boats came, so they got in that boat and went and got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they get to the other side and they find him, they said to him, what? Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you get here? See, what they should be asking It's not, when did you get here? How did you get here? Because for sure, we didn't see you get on the boat. For sure, we only saw the disciples get on this boat. And there's no way there's enough time for you to circumnavigate this lake and go all the way to the other side to Capernaum. The only way is for you to cross this lake. And if there was no boat for you to cross, and if only the disciples crossed, how did you get here? That should have been the question that they asked. And it would have been a very uh, natural question to ask because they should also be asking, it. and also, by the way, how did you feed all of us with five loaves and two fish? But the only thing that was on the hearts and the minds of the crowd and the people was they wanted the earthly blessings again to happen again. And they asked, when did you get here? And I think a lot of times when we are truly honest about ourselves, Many of us, perhaps you or may you may or may not have experienced some miraculous thing, you know. And, and mir- miracles can be defined in very different ways. You know, when I think about me even going to college, that's a miracle. Uh, me getting married, that's a miracle. You know, um, having children is definitely a miracle, right? Being able to uh, come live here in the Bay Area, that's a miracle. I mean, you, you you think about all these things that may just seem like coincidences, but they can be miracles as well. A lot of times, we are so fixated on just the earthly blessings that we are seeking that we don't realize that all these events and all these things that happen in our lives are truly heavenly miracles orchestrated by the God of the universe. And instead of reveling in that reality, we only seek Jesus because we want the next earthly blessing we only seek jesus because we think we're at a crossroads in our lives and we're wondering well how can we uh, kind of make sure we double down that we're going you know this is going to happen in our lives right? and, and and we all do this and i'm not saying just you guys i'm i'm guilty of this as well if there is an important uh, thing that's going to happen in my life or important crossroads then i'm more you know likely to read the bible and pray than if things aren't kind of normal Right. If, if I feel that uh, there is a certain crossroads in my life in terms of, uh, you know, the next stage of my life or a big event or, you know, like, uh, you know, getting into something, you know, like we all, you know, start praying then, right? You know, sometimes when um, uh, this past uh, couple months ago, I applied to this program for Stanford and, uh, and I was praying, God, um, if it's going to be hard, don't let me get in. But at the same time, like it's kind of shameful not to get in. So I, so I was conflicted, but I was like, you know, so just, but I was, I, spent, I, I found myself praying more because of that, you know, and, and for, uh, you know, going to, going to school or getting your first job, I'm sure we all did that. And here, here, that's just our natural mode of operation. And just like the people who were unable to see that the only way Jesus could have come to the other side was something absolutely supernatural the only way that Jesus could have fed all those people with just five loaves of bread and two fish was something supernatural. We, in our, in our lives and in our hearts, we fail to see the heavenly realities of God in every aspect of our lives, and we are only seeking for the next earthly blessing. Not only that, but we also easily forget the blessings of God. Um, Jesus, as in, in verse 25, he, he, he responds to the people. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill to the, of the loaves. Now, Jesus, he never beats around the bush. You know, the, the people are like, Jesus, when did you get here? And He's like, you don't care when I got here. You're only looking, you're only looking for me because you guys got a free meal. Right? And, and you want more free things. And then he says, but do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And these seem like genuine questions. And then Jesus responds, "Uh, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said, oh, you want us to have faith in you? You want us to believe in you? They should respond to, of course we will. You just fed us with five loaves and two fish. But you know what their response is? What sign are you going to do? What sign will you do to make us believe in you? And, and, and you're like, what the heck? Like if you, you know, for us, we read this and you're like, he just fed you with five loaves and two fish. And now you're going to ask for another sign? You're like, how can you be so moronic? but let's be real careful about thinking about our own lives. How many times has God pulled through, provided you with the very thing that you needed? Not what you wanted, but with what you needed. How many times has God proved over and over again how faithful and how sovereign and how majestic he is? And we can take evidence from just daily events of our lives. And this is not even looking at the the grand picture of Jesus coming down on earth and dying on the cross for us. And yet every single time we are faced with struggle or we are faced with uh, some sort of uh, hindrance or when we are faced with some sort of hardship, we begin to what? Question God's motives and question God's goodness. And we say, God, if you want us to believe in you, then show us a sign. Now, I am uh, one of the most faithless people that I know. And so even sometimes in, in parking spots, like, God, if you're real, may I get a good parking spot? You know, I mean, you know, we say stupid things like that, right? You know, and or, or even just like on the opposite, like, you know, um, the first time I went to um, San Tung in San Francisco, I heard it was amazing, but people told me that the wait line was uh, really long. You know, if you guys don't know what San Tung is, it's like this Chinese chicken wing restaurant. Just get the chicken wings, that's it. Okay? Um, and, and, but when I got there, I was like, and I didn't know what San Francisco was like, but I had, there was a parking spot right in front of Santung. So me and my family parked there and there was no line. So we ordered the chicken, we ate, we left. And the second time I went there, I couldn't find parking for like 30 minutes. And there was like an hour and a half wait. And I thought back of the first experience, I was like, God, wow, you were good. You know, <laughs> you are so good. But you know what I mean? It's like little trivial things like that. We we assume, and we, or we, we forget, The blessings that God has given us because we're always looking for, well, what about now? What about now? And yet Jesus, he stays firm with what he's saying and and is objective. He says, no, I am the bread of life. You are seeking and working for things that are perishable. What I offer you are things that cannot perish. I offer you things that will give you eternal life. And if you eat of me, you will not die. And yet, yet our mentality and our eyes are always fixated on things that are perishable, that are uh, going to burn away with this world. And the reason why I believe that we are so fixated on earthly things, on things that are perishable, things that are not eternal, is because we are not connected with the very thing that gives us life. We have no connection and relationship with the very thing that offers us this eternal life. When you think about the people here in this story, we have the disciples, we have the crowd, we have Jesus. Right. And if we kind of differentiate between the crowd and the disciples, uh, there's, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, the, the disciples still yet are fully able to understand and comprehend what Jesus' gospel message is about. And yet, there's a little difference between them and the crowd because the disciples at least have a relationship with Christ. They know him on a more intimate and personal level. And when Jesus says that I am the bread of life, you must eat of me and you will have life eternal. What he's saying when he says you must eat of this bread of life, he's saying you must have a personal connection with the very thing that has come down from heaven. Jesus says in uh, in the later parts of this passage in verse 50, he says, I am the bread, uh, the bread that comes down from heaven, He says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven and this phrase comes down it is a continual uh, verb. Meaning that it, it, he is something that is continually coming down and readily available for all to eat and all to feast upon. And yet, we ignore it for things that are perishable. Now, um, you know, I am a product of immigrant parents. Uh, we immigrated here when I was six years old. Uh, my dad, he, one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to take us around and see all the national parks uh, um you know and, and, and you know being a spoiled little kid you're like i don't want to drive you know and just play nintendo game boy um, that's a ds but like black and white just for the, the young people you know so we just played nintendo game boy in the car all the time and and we didn't want to drive anywhere and um i realized i was like dad how come you always take us to these crummy motels why can't we stay at a hotel and later i realized oh because uh, motels you don't have to make a reservation you just you see the va- no vacancy sign then you know you can't go there Hotels, you actually have to call and make a reservation. And for an immigrant, he didn't know how to do that, so he always just took us to these motels, right? But this one particular time, uh, he took us to a, a hotel. I think it was like a Hyatt or, or Marriott or something like that. And and we walked by, and I remember, you know, the first morning we woke up, we're getting ready to go. We eat, you know, our rice and kimchi for breakfast, and then uh, I walked by the breakfast area. and I was like, oh, that looks delicious, you know. And, uh, it, you know, I was like, you know, I'm talking about like the the, the breakfast. at a a hotel there's like home potatoes and then there's like a tub of bacon and you can i was like you can get as much bacon as you want you know you keep giving yourself bacon and then there's sausages and then there's pancakes and then they have a waffle bar and then if it's a good one and this was a good one they had like an omelet like omelet bar where you put everything that you want and then you take it to the cook and they make you an omelet and then they call your name and then you get your omelet. And then there's bagels, which whatever is, you know, like, um, cause it's not the good bagels. It's just like the bagels from the market and there's like oatmeal, but I don't want to eat oatmeal, you know, but like, there's everything. Like I can describe to you everything that was there. Fruit bar, you know, little y- yogurts. And then they had a little tub of uh, cereal and, you know, you know like, they had everything. And I was like, dad, can we eat there? He's like, no, it's too expensive. So every day I was like, oh, can we eat there? He's like, no, it's too expensive. And the last day we were there, he's like, hey, we, we can eat there because it's our last day. We'll, we'll splurge a little. And he said, like, you know, my brother's older. He's like, hey, go ask him how much it is. So my brother goes in and asks him how much is it. And He's like, oh, it's complimentary. You know? <laughs> and so you know, we didn't know what complimentary meant. He's like, so how much? He's like, no, no, no. If you're staying here, you get to eat this. It's readily available. All you can eat. And yet we were just eating crackers and rice and kimchi. (laughs) And the reason why I bring this up is this when when Jesus is offering us himself as the bread of life, saying that he is the bread who comes down from heaven for all to eat. He's saying, I am the life that is readily available. If you place your faith in me, you will be able to gain something eternally that you can never lose. That you will be able to partake and, and, and have fellowship with the very God who has created you. And yet in our stubbornness, in our ignorance, and even just in our rebelliousness, instead of partaking in this wonderful breakfast buffet that is Christ, we go and seek out things that are earthly and perishable. Why? Why is this the case? Because I think deep down inside, what we are failing, what we truly fail to understand is that what Christ has to offer is something relational and personal. When he says, eat the bread of life, he's not just saying, come and understand who I am. He's saying, this is an intimate connection that you will have with me because I am your God. Eating is a very intimate thing. Right uh, eating with somebody is something that you do because you either want to connect with them or you have a connection with them. Um, I, I hate going to places where, except for sushi bars, but I hate, but it's because you're, you're sitting side by side. But you know, like the places that kind of picnic table settings and then like you, if it gets crowded, you have to sit next to a stranger and then you're like talking to your friend or your spouse and then like they can overhear everything that you're saying you know it's like it, it feels weird right because you don't want to be eating with somebody that you don't know. But when you are able to gather at a table with just the very people that you have a deep relationship with, it's one of the greatest experiences. One of the best times of fellowship, one of the best times of connection is when you are able to share a meal with somebody, and that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Come and share a meal, which is me. Come and eat of this bread of life for eternal life. And, it's, and this is going to sound very simplistic, but how do we do that? How do we eat of his body? How do we eat of the bread of life? And, and I think the most important thing that we have to understand um, is his word of God is, is the bread of life. Right? Uh, Jesus himself in the wilderness, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. Right? We, we, we have looked at the Bible as something that we point to and I, are able to identify, not something that we are able to consume in fellowship. Imagine going to a, you know, a, a wonderful restaurant, ordering everything on the menu, and just looking at it and saying, oh, there's the prime rib. Oh, there's the crab cakes. Oh, there's the Caesar salad with like actual sardines. Sardines, anchovies, right? And then just leaving. A lot of times that's what we do with Christ. We'll point and we'll just identify, we'll look at things, but not truly consume it for the life that it can give. And lastly, what does it tell us about who Jesus is? Uh, What does it tell us about um, this statement, I am the bread of life? Jesus uh, Jesus' point in this statement is that while people are hoping for earthly blessings, what he is referring to is a sacrifice unlike any sacrifice that we could have imagined. When he says he is the bread of life, and he says this bread is my flesh, the word for flesh is the word uh, Greek word "sarks," and some people assume that this uh, this passage is referring to the communion or the Last Supper. Uh, but in the Last Supper, when he says, "This is my body given for you," he uses the word "soma" for body. When he says "flesh," he's talking about the word "sarks," and in many ways, he's referring to uh, the death and sacrifice that he is going to give. What we don't, what we fail to really think about is the thing that gives us life must die even if you are an animal activist and you don't want to kill anything to eat and survive like you're still killing something like you're killing a plant you're killing I i mean everything dies in order for us to have life something is dying you know and during the pandemic many of you guys had become like pet uh plant pet parents you know imagine me just going in there just ripping out all the plants like ah you know something died you eat a salad something's dead right? You eat beets, that beet is dying so that you may have life. No matter what, you know, you can be a vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, pescatarian, whatever, something's going to die. And what Jesus is saying as the bread of life, he's saying, my flesh, my life will be given so that you may have eternal life. My life will be sacrificed so that you may have eternal life. So when he says, I am the bread of life, he's ultimately claiming to be something that we could never have imagined. The one that would offer perfect obedience to the Father. For he says, I am the one who does the will of the Father to come down to this earth, to give himself up so that we may have life for all eternity. Not by our works, but through the work of believing in his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we we hear the words of Christ, what he has to offer, eternal life, things that do not perish. And God, we ask that you would turn our hearts to be able to not only see not only recognize, but desire the very gift that is Jesus to be able to consume the very truth of this message, that while we are so prone to be fixated on the things of this earth, that you would move our hearts to be fixated on the heavenly realities and the blessings of eternal life through Christ and Christ alone. So God, may our relationship uh, be one that is intimate and personal, that we would seek Uh, to consume all the things of heaven. For we know, Lord, that it is which that only comes from you that can give us eternal life. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.